This is an interesting time of year, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but every single year that goes by, we get to the month of March and April, and what do you guys usually see on newsstands? Um, you know, the, like, for instance, like Time or Newsweek magazines, those kinds of, not the tabloids and not people and, and not the weekly world news, but the kinds of thing, kinds of news magazines are somewhat newsworthy. They will have, they will have special, they will have like um, cover stories on something from the Bible. Maybe something about Jesus. Maybe something about the resurrection. Maybe somebody's found some new archaeology. Or maybe somebody's written a new journal article or, or says, I have, I have figured out who the real Jesus is. We've now discovered the, the true, the real historical Jesus and here's what he's all about. Or, that's when National Geographic or the History Channel or the Discovery Channel or the Learning Channel, which you can't learn anything on that channel anymore. But these places, you, you'll, you'll get these specials, right? And they'll have something about Jesus. Some, or even if you're watching network TV and you flip through one of those networks and you see something about Jesus Christ? Superstar? And you're like, what? A live musical? Easter Sunday night? On NBC? I can watch that? And I'm going to suggest that you don't watch it. Because it's not Jesus. Okay, that's just my opinion. But what is our fascination? Is it good? Is it right? Well, I I think we should be amazed at Jesus. I think we should be astonished at Jesus. But sometimes our amazement, our astonishment, our fascination ends there. We're fascinated by this character. We're fascinated by the stories about him. We're fascinated by the, some of the things, some of the things that he said, and and some of the things that he did. And we think, "Wow, I wish I could be more like Jesus, nice and kind and wise, and and all of those things." And then we leave it at that. And April second rolls around, and we go back to our lives. The fascination has ended. The story has, has, is, is over. And we've, we've closed the book on that. That is not why Jesus came. And that is not the Jesus that we preach. That is not the Jesus that we worship. So, I want us to look at this story in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. And I want us to be challenged by the authority of the Holy One of God. That's who Jesus has revealed to us in this story. He's revealed to us in that way. And He has authority in His words, in His works, and He has authority for us to worship Him. We ought to worship Him with our whole lives. That is why He came. And so, I want us to look at Mark chapter 1, again, verses 21 to 28. Would you stand with me as I read this aloud? I want us to stand in honor of Jesus and His Word that He has given to us and He has preserved for us. Mark chapter 1. Follow with me as I read aloud. 
Verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask for you to do what only you can do. I am helpless to convince anybody of anything here. Lord, we need you to move. We ask that you will use these words to speak directly to our hearts, to convict us of sin, to show us the the glory of Jesus, to help us to worship you truly for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right. Here's something you might want to jot down if you're wanting to... if you're ever wanting to go back over this passage and think about what maybe God is speaking to you about today, um, use the back of your bulletin to write some notes on. But this is a good thing to, to write down. This is the big idea of this message. I'm going to give you the bottom line up front. Because Jesus, the Holy One of God, has unrivaled authority. Is that word in there? Yes, it is. Unrivaled authority. We can be rescued out of darkness and into His light by His works, for His worship, and in His words. That's worth um, repeating, I think. Because Jesus, the Holy One of God, has unrivaled authority. We can be rescued out of darkness and into His light by His works, for His worship, and in His words. Okay, take a look at this story with me. Um, Let me give you a hint too. When you're coming to God's Word, a lot of times what you might do is you're reading a story and and you might go, well, how does that make me feel? Or or what kind of impressions does it give me, uh, make, uh, does it give me? Or or, what does this mean to me? And, And those are okay to get to at some point. But let me suggest to you as you read God's Word that you um, first begin looking at, well, what is being communicated to me? What is, what is the, the writer of this, of this story trying to tell me? What, what seems to be important? What seems to be highlighted here? And I would argue that, if, especially if you're reading something in the Gospels or maybe some Old Testament stories, those are those parts of the Bible that are narrative. Uh, in other words, they're telling stories, even a little short story like this, that you look for things like the setting. 
Where is this taking place and who are the characters and, and what is kind of going on at the beginning of the story? And then look for some conflict. Is there some encounter going on there? Is there some question or, or disagreement or anything like that? And then look for where that conflict has a climax. Because somewhere in that story, it hits this peak. Something that we need to pay attention to. Something that the, the, the writer of the story really wants us to know. Okay? It's like, that's the most important part of the story. When you're reading a book or reading a story or, or telling a story or watching a movie, there's always a climactic moment that is kind of telling you what it's all about. And then, how does that conflict get resolved? What, how, how does it all kind of f uh, figure it out? How does it get worked out? And then, of course, there's almost always a new setting. Sometimes, uh, uh, here's what things are like now that that conflict has been resolved. And here's the new, the new normal, the new setting, which oftentimes then will lead us right into the next story, especially if you're reading the Gospels. Well, look at that. Look at that with me. Set the setting. They go into Capernaum. Now, I don't have a lot of time to talk about Capernaum, but let's just put it this way. It's, it was one of the most important cities around the Sea of Galilee. Likely, it was probably right along the sea outside of Capernaum that Jesus called his disciples, Simon and Andrew, James and John in the previous um, story that we saw. And so they probably lived there. We get a little hint of that in the, next, in the very next story when we see that um, they left the synagogue and they went into Simon's house, Simon and Andrew's house. So they probably lived there, but this is an important place. There was a lot of wealth that went through there, a lot of traffic through there, um, large Jewish population in that part of Galilee, um, but there was a Roman garrison there, and that Roman garrison protected trade. They made sure that the taxes were getting collected and that they were going to the emperor and going to the governors and they were paying for things like their barracks and their bathhouses and the things, their, their, their amenities. You, you see what I'm saying here? So Jewish uh, population, some Romans living there. A very important place. And what does he do? He goes in on the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath? Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. It was the day that God told His people, Israel, you will, you will rest on the Sabbath. You will um, keep that day holy. Don't do any work on the Sabbath. And so, oftentimes, that was in, in these small towns, or smaller towns, um, that was the day that they all gathered together. And they worshipped. And where did they worship? They worshipped in a synagogue. What's a synagogue? When our kids were young, we, were read, we would read through the Gospels together and we would say, oh, here's an interesting word, synagogue. We, what's a synagogue? And we trained our girls to say, a Jewish church. Now, before you start, don't, don't, don't accuse me of being too anachronistic because what a synagogue was, was a gathering place. And what is a church? Well, the church is the people. It's the gathered people of God. Okay? So this was literally a, well, a Jewish church building is what it was. It was a place that was a gathering place for all of the people 
who worship the one true God to gather together. And they would do that, especially on the Sabbath. They would sometimes do that on different times of the week. Um, it was a place where just everything kind of revolved around there. The little kids were taught how to read the Bible and understand scripture in the synagogue. So they had school in there. They had civic activities in there. And they had these, these worship gatherings where they would get together. They would hear the Old Testament law being taught, being read and explained. And so it was a very important place. And lay people were usually the ones who taught in the synagogues. There was usually a ruler of the synagogue. He was sort of in charge. He was more the administrator of the synagogue. But he kind of took care of things. He made sure that everything was, was done. He's kind of like a head deacon. You know, in our, in our churches. Just making sure everything got done, everything was in place, and everything was ready. And then, sometimes a rabbi would come through town, and he would teach. Or maybe there were members of that congregation, that gathering, who would, you know, maybe some of the men who had been there for a long time and had studied, the, studied God's Word, and they would stand up on a given um, Sabbath, and they would teach a little bit. And that's what Jesus was doing. So that's the setting. that He comes in, and Jesus is teaching them on the Sabbath in the synagogue in Capernaum, and look at what they're doing. They are astonished at His teaching. He teaches them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. So, who are these scribes? First mention of scribes in the Gospel of Mark. Be good to know who these people were. Be good to know what they were all about. So, shorthand, scribes. They were religious experts. They were well trained. They were kind of like your seminary educated um, professors and teachers. These were the guys who had studied matters and they had, they had figured things out. So you would go to a scribe and you'd say, Scribe, what does this mean? And they would tell you. They were, they were the definitive word on interpreting scripture. They knew it. They, they knew how to parse everything and figure it all out. And they could tell you how many angels danced on the head of a pin and all of those things. Because they had talked about that. They had studied those matters. And they were the experts. They were the authority. And they derived their authority from the people who taught them. And the people who taught them. And the people who taught them. And it would go all back to probably one very important teacher who they would say, well, before that guy, everyone got it wrong. But when that guy came around, man, God did something in him, and then, boom, he got it all right, and now that's what we teach. So that's where our authority... Our authority is in the teaching of the, of the great rabbis. Our authority is in the teaching of the elders and the tra traditions of the elders. Okay, so these scribes are going to come up a lot in Mark's gospel. In fact, 19 times they're, they're going to be mentioned. And every single time but one, every single time but one, they're antagonistic towards Jesus. Jesus has a lot of of conflict with these scribes. They're set up in the story as Jesus teaches with authority, but not as the scribes do. Something about Jesus is different. Okay? So, then suddenly, there was somebody in the midst. Verse 23. There's a man 
with an unclean spirit. And he's in their synagogue. And he's crying out. And he's saying, he's questioning Jesus. This isn't right. Where, where does this man come from? How, how, can an, how can a man with an unclean spirit, evil spirit, a demon, is what he means, how can a person like that be in the synagogue? This is a holy place. This is a place where we read and study God's Word. This is a place where the, where the Scripture is expounded. And suddenly, there's this man in there. That's because Jesus showed up. And as soon as Jesus shows up, He riles things up. And then people, well, demons aren't too keen on Jesus being in their presence. And so that's where the conflict is. And what does the demon say? What have you to do with us, right? Jesus of Nazareth. They know exactly who he is and they ex know exactly where he comes from. And then they say something even more profound. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Whoa. Okay. Hello. Out of the mouth of demons. So, we have this climactic moment where an evil spirit is saying, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But, we have a resolution to this conflict. Jesus immediately rebukes him, saying, be silent, get out of him. And that's exactly what happens. Well, there's a convulsion. There's a physical manifestation of that evil spirit coming out of this man. And he's gone. And he came out of him. And suddenly, there's this new setting we find ourselves in. And the story finds it. Everybody finds themselves in amazement questioning among themselves. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He even, not quite yet, not yet on that. Not yet. And he even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, his fame is spread. There's some things that are similar. Well, we have the people in verses 21 and 22. In 22, they're astonished at his teaching. In 27, they're amazed at his teaching. In 21 and 22, they're, Jesus is teaching and they think he's, got, he's teaching with authority. In 27, they say he's teaching with authority. But something different about this teaching. This authority, this teaching has the ability not just to, to give knowledge and information so that you guys can get it right and believe the right things, doggone it, but his teaching has authority authority. He, he himself has authority to do something. To change people. To rescue people out of darkness. To bring them into the light. And of course his fame is spreading everywhere. So that is that is the story. Do you, see the, do you see how it peaks and how it climaxes? And where does it climax? It climaxes at that statement by a demon of all people. You are the Holy One of God. Psalm 71.22 says this. I didn't write it down because I have it right here in my handy dandy Bible. I will also praise you with the harp. For your faithfulness, O my God, I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. Every time... They talk they, in, the, in the Old Testament. Every time they speak to God, about God, or to Him, 
And they use that word, that phrase, holy one. They're always pairing, pairing it up. It's always parallel with God, Yahweh, that's who, that's who the psalmist calls him. Um, Hosea um, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 12 is another example of this where um, the prophet says, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful, walks with the Holy One. When the, when the demon said, when the evil spirit, the unclean spirit said, you're the Holy One of God, he meant none other than God himself was in their midst. This was no mere man who came in teaching like all of the other scribes, like all of the other rabbis. God was in their midst. And that demon knew it. Well, James says even the demons believe and tremble. But they don't put their faith in Him. They don't believe in Him in that sense. They, they don't worship Him as Lord. They have not been rescued out of darkness. They remain in darkness even while they acknowledge who Jesus truly is. So, what shall we do with that? How shall we respond? How, what is there for us? Okay, very briefly, I want to go over... I want to look at three things. Um, I want to look at the authority of the Holy One of God in His words, for His worship, by His works. Okay, there's an alliteration there. Uh, hopefully I'll help you remember. Words, worship, and works. In this order, the authority of the Holy One of God is in His words. Look at verse uh, 22. For He taught them as one who had authority. And then in verse 25, Jesus says, He speaks, He rebukes the evil spirit, saying, Be silent and come out of Him. Verse 25. And then in verse 27 again, they question, What is this? A new teaching with authority. Jesus is speaking words. He's using words. And His words have authority. Now, what was He speaking? What was He teaching? We don't know per se. He doesn't tell us. Mark doesn't tell us in this passage what Jesus' teaching was. Now, we might be able to kind of speculate if we go to a, a passage like Luke chapter 4. We, may, we could go over to Luke chapter 4 and see Jesus teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath in Capernaum. And we can go, oh, he's probably teaching from the prophet Isaiah. But Mark doesn't say that here. We just know that his words have this authority. His words even have power to silence and exercise a demon. In Mark um, 9, verse 7, God enters the picture. The Father enters the story again. Similar to how He entered into the story back in chapter 1, verse 11, when that voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Well, in Mark chapter 9, verse 7, um, the Father enters the story again and speaks from glory, speaks from heaven, speaks from a cloud and says, This is my beloved Son 
Listen to Him. Listen to Him. The apostle, or the disciples in John chapter 6, verse 69 and 70, the, that, that passage there, Jesus questioned them because all these people were leaving Him. Jesus was teaching. And if you want to know what Jesus taught, read the Gospel of John. I've been reading through it recently. And it's um, blowing my mind once again. All of the things that Jesus said and all of the things that He taught. And people were running for the hills. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can believe this? We're out of here. And Jesus turns to the twelve. He said, all my other disciples are leaving me, but what about you twelve? How about you? And they say, where else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's you that we believe. The authority of the Holy One of God is in His words. When Jesus speaks, it happens. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And verse 2. Anyone? The Word speaks. Everything came into being by the Word. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 3, what happens? And God said, let there be light, right? God spoke. The Word was there in the beginning. Jesus was there in the Godhead, in the beginning, speaking the world into existence. His Word has power. His Word has authority. It has wor- His Word has authority over our lives. We have to pay attention to His words. We ought to know them. It's not enough to just say, yes, I agree with that statement. The Holy One of God, the authority of the Holy One of God is in His words. Okay, I assent to that. If you don't know His words, that's kind of meaningless. Uh, I'll be bold and say that. We, ought to, we have to know Him. We have to know His words. They have authority over creation. They have authority over our lives. But moving on. The authority of the Holy One of God is for His worship. Now I want to show you something here that um, was troubling to me. Verse 22. And they were astonished at His teaching. And verse 27. And they were all amazed. And verse 28. And at once His fame spread everywhere. At first glance, that looks like worship. They're astonished. They're amazed. You know, fame spreading everywhere. They're going, wow, this is amazing. And even when we see, we got the demons saying, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But I'll, I'll argue that the astonishment, that the amazement and the fame that spread was nothing more than what we see in our day and age. People going, Jesus, he was a great guy. Man, he was a great... Oh, he said some amazing things. He even did some amazing things. Oh, we all, all ought to love like Jesus loved. And we all ought to, to care like Jesus cared. And, and wow, there's some really wise things that he said. And so we'll read books about him and go, that's pretty amazing. We may even read our Bibles and go, oh, I really like that. I'm going to skip over that section. But I like that. And we may even go see musicals about Jesus Christ and just go, wow, he's such a superstar. But that is not worship. That is not worship. 
In fact, I would argue that we're missing Him completely when all we do is we look at the amazing things that we see Him do or that He has done in the past and just settle for that. It's not enough. Here's what Jesus Here's what Jesus is revealed to us and what he did. Here he is in Ephesians chapter 1. The power, the great working, or according to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet to give him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus has no rival. He has unrivaled authority. He's not one God among many. He's not somebody you add to your relatively good life. He's not somebody we go, well, you know that Jesus, he's, he said some pretty cool things. Um, you know, I'll, I, yeah, sure, I believe in him. Don't be like a demon. Don't say you believe in Jesus. But he means nothing to your life. And he hasn't changed a bit of it. In Romans, I'd like to read for you Romans chap chapters 1 through 11 right now. I would like to, but I'm not going to. But in Romans chapter 1 through 11, Paul is explaining this Jesus, the good news, who he is, what he's all about. He's, he's sort of magnifying that, those short few verses that he talked of in Ephesians chapter 1. And at the end of that, he said, Therefore... In chapter 12, verse 1, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him, which is our spiritual worship. What worship means is we turn over our life to Him. That's what it means. It is not enough to stand amazed in the presence, which is a beautiful song. It's not, that's, not all, that's not all we do when we sing that song. There's much more to it. But it is not enough just to be amazed. If we have not put our faith in Him, if our lives have not been turned over to Him, He has unrivaled authority to be worshipped. Number three, the authority of the Holy One of God is by His works. It's in His words for His worship, by His works. And here's the works that He does in verse 26. The unclean spirit came out of Him. And in verse 27, they, the, the crowd comments on this. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. All of Jesus' works this one included, as amazing and as beautiful as this is. So I want to I caution you not simply to read these stories of amazing miracles and say, Jesus can do that in my life too. Or in somebody else's. Now, he can. But 
Remember why Mark has written this story. And remember the focus. Remember the climax of this story. The climax of the story is in the declaration that Jesus is the Holy One of God. That's what we're supposed to see. And the works that Jesus does in Mark chapter 1 and in in next week's message and in the message after that and as we go through this gospel, all of those works are a shadow of or a taste of or a precursor for the one work, the one work that he will do to defeat the enemy. Remember Jesus back in verses 12 and 13? He was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan. He was being tested by Satan. The struggle began in the wilderness. And now he comes into the cities. And now he comes into people's lives. And that struggle continues. And he's continuing to fight against the enemy. And he's continuing to battle against darkness. That is his works which will be culminated on the cross. He rescues a man from a demon here. That's a taste of the rescue that He will perform for mankind on the cross. And that's where we see the King crowned. That's where we see Him in His glory and majesty, suffering on our behalf, taking our sin upon Himself, the sinless spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now how should we respond to that? Let me go back over some of these ideas. When we talked about words and worship and works, number one, how should we respond? Receive in ourselves the work of Christ. If you have not done that, You don't know Jesus. He is not your Lord. He is not your Savior. If you have not received the work of Christ that He did on the cross in yourselves, by faith, you are still dead in your sins. You are still languishing in the dark waters of of a world that's lost in chaos. You are still dead You have two choices. You can see this announcement of Jesus' unrivaled authority. You can see this announcement and you can either recoil from it or you can rejoice in it and receive it. We need to be rescued. That is the message for every single one of us. If you have not been rescued, I invite you to see the light of the glory of Jesus that is here in the gospel and put your faith and trust in Him. Confess, there's no way for you to climb out of that mire. There's no way for you to climb out of that, those swirling waves. You will die unless... You call out to Jesus, put your faith in Him, and hold on to the rope that He is giving you. Maybe better yet, the analogy should be His strong hand that is reaching down to pull you out. Believe. Romans 10, 
9 and 10. It is with our, or if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The word of Christ is powerful and effective, and it is for us and for you to be, to be rescued so that you can receive in yourself the work of Christ. But the second response to Jesus' unrivaled authority is this. Devote ourselves to the words of Christ. Devote ourselves to the words of Christ. I mean, His words, His teaching is all over in this passage. Many of us have missed it. Um, got some young men who have been really challenging me recently. And the conversations we have about God's Word and about walking in holiness, it's just, it's just, it's, it's growing me. And one of the things that we, we realize together in all these conversations is that we just don't know God's Word enough. We really don't. And we can say that we can fight sin with the promises of God. And then we go, well, what are the promises of God to help you fight that sin? And we go, I'm not sure. Because, well, they're contained right here. They're contained in the Gospels. They're contained in Jesus' words and His actions and all that He did. They're contained in the New Testament letters that expound on them and help us understand them. And in, in fact, they're contained in all of Scripture. They're contained throughout the Old Testament too because Luke, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, All Scripture points to me. It's all about me. You see a promise in the Old Testament, we're reading the Psalms, and we go, oh, that's really good. That, that Psalm is pointing forward to the promises that we have in Jesus. That all of God's yeses are yes in Jesus. So I, I'm going to challenge us to keep being a word-saturated and word-focused church on Sunday mornings and in our missional communities and in our discipleship groups and in every single one of your personal lives. You know, don't wake up and go throughout your day without coming to hear Jesus' words speaking to you. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let that be for you. And again in Romans 10, it's, it's faith comes by hearing the word, the word uh, it's the word of Christ that we hear. And by faith we walk. And by faith we, we add to our faith over and over. In John 6 again, you have the words of eternal life. Here's, a, here's something. Go to the next one. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. I don't know if, how many of you have this app on your phone. But after we're done worshiping this morning, download that app. And then you can go down to the bottom, the bottom of the screen and click the little check mark. And then when you're in that check mark, there's a little search icon and, and search for that. Holy Week from the Gospel of Mark. That might be kind of fun to, to take you through seven days. Seven, or do, do, do day one today and do day seven at the end of the week. And, and walk your way through Mark 11 and 14 and 15 and 16 this week. 
watch a little video, read a little scripture and meditate on Jesus and the work that he did that is to- told us in the words of Christ. That might, be, that might be something you could do personally or with your family and start a little family worship tradition. Maybe it's just you and your spouse and your little ones are too young to understand a thing and just do it together like that. I don't know. Or maybe that's something you do in your missional community or discipleship group this week. Finally, though, commit yourselves or commit ourselves to the worship of Christ. Commit ourselves to the worship of Christ. And what do I mean by that? I, I don't just mean commit, commit you and your family to being here on Sunday morning, although that's a big part of it. You know, gathering with God's people and worshiping is a big part of it. But if you're only standing amazed, you're not, you're not really worshiping. If nothing about Jesus has actually transformed your life and the way you live your life, you're not really worshiping. So I want to challenge you with Romans 12.1 that in view of God's mercies and all that He has done for us, His works and His words, that you offer your body, you offer your whole self as a living sacrifice to Him. So that may... That may mean like what I was challenged by this week. Um, Thinking about some things that are in my life that have no business being there. Things in my life that, that I am Lord over, but not Jesus. Things in, uh, you know, if you want to imagine your life as a, as, a, as a home with rooms in it, there are rooms that are shut. And I just kind of pile up a bunch of stuff in there, and then I <clears throat> cram it in there, and... And then I slam the door shut and I barely latch it and and then I and then I hear the doorbell ring. Jesus, come on in. How 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 you doing? Yeah. Make yourself comfortable. You can sit here or there. Don't sit in that chair. Um, come to the kitchen, come to the dining room. Oh, you don't want to go back there. Nah, don't don't worry about that hallway. Don't worry about those those rooms. You see what I'm saying? It's really easy. It's really easy to say we worship Him and even come every Sunday and sing songs and say prayers and have parts of our lives that are not under His authority. We're holding back worship from Him. I want to encourage you, whatever it is that God may be challenging you, worship is about your life. So, because Jesus, the Holy One of God, has unrivaled authority, we can be rescued out of darkness and into His light by His works, for His worship, and in His words. In short, Jesus saved sinners. And He saved me. He can save you and the people around you, your neighbors, your friends, your family. That's who we serve. Unrivaled authority as the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this word to me and the challenge it is to my heart and my life. Lord, um, I pray that that we will... um, if anyone here has not been rescued, that today will be the day. Today will be the day to respond in faith.
to your calling to place faith firmly in you. Lord, if, 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 we, if, or if we have yet to be transformed on the inside, and we will know it when it happens, by the light of the gospel of Jesus, may it happen. And then let us live lives of worship to you, devoted, devoted God to your word, and just uh, continuing to worship you with our lives as we, um, as we receive the work of the cross of Christ um, in ourselves. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen.